I'm going to ask our tech crew to bring up a picture in just a moment, but not yet, not yet. When you look at this picture, I want you to think about if anything strikes you. It struck me as odd, and so I'm just going to, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to let you look at it, take it in, and see if it strikes you as odd. Go ahead. Read the sign. Okay, somebody got it. Think about it for a minute. Let it sink in. <laughs> Amish.com. Think about that for a moment. We went to a conference this week, all right? I'm walking, we're in Branson, Missouri. I'm walking down the street. I'll look up, I see that sign, and I immediately do a double take. How can the Amish have a website? if they don't use electronics. They don't use anything, no computers yet. And I know this is somebody selling Amish goods, but still, does that not strike you? Maybe I'm weird, but that strikes me as a little bit funny. I, I see that and I do a double take. You ever see something like that, that immediately you do a double take? It's like, okay, I didn't just see that, did I? That's, that, 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 that was kind of how that was. Well, today, as we move forward in our series on Moses, he comes across, uh, he's a shepherd in Midian, he's been there uh, for 40 years, and he comes across one day a bush that is on fire, yet not being consumed by that fire. That would cause you to do a double take, wouldn't it? And it does him. He stops and he takes a look. And in this we see God is about to call him to do something incredible. This is uh, bur the burning bush experience. I mean, we talk about burning bush experiences, these incredible experiences that we have with God where he calls us into action. And I, I have had those. I'm sure you have had those. There's been a couple in my life that stand out. Uh, one in particular, um, I went on staff. I may have shared this with you before, but I went on staff at my home church uh, and had been on staff for a couple years. And I began to, to, to sense that God was calling me to ministry, and I struggled with that for, for really over a year. You know, I had mentors in my life pointing me in that direction. God's Word was pointing me in that direction, but I was just struggling with it. And I was at a conference. Uh, it was Rec Lab, 1999, I believe it was, or maybe, maybe 2000, early 2000. Um, it was January or February, and uh, I, was, I was struggling with you know, ministry, if I should go into ministry. Um, there were some, some challenges that, that I'd recently faced in, in the position that I was in, and you know, just uh, challenges, opportunities to grow, but challenges, and, and I was just struggling. Lord, if, you know, if, this is, if this is not what I'm supposed to do with my life, then you know, I was about to graduate college, I, I need to start moving in another direction. Because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but ministry comes with challenges. Working with people can sometimes be challenging. And I was just in one of those situations. I dealt with a difficult situation. And anyway, I'm in the, at this conference, and we're, we're having a worship service. And just so happens, not coincidence, the, the guy that was speaking, the preacher, was talking about challenges that you face in ministry. And that if God has called you to ministry, that he will provide and that you will be able to not only survive but thrive in the midst of those challenges. And I felt the presence of God like I had never felt before in my life. And I heard the voice of God as clear as you possibly could hear it without it actually being audible. I've never heard God's voice audibly, but it was almost, it was just, just as close as you can get to that without it being 
the actual audible voice of God. And, and he just spoke to me and said, Alan, this is my plan for you. And this is, if, if you will surrender, I will provide. If you will do this, I will provide and everything that you need to be able to serve in ministry. And then I wrestled with it a few more months because I'm just that stubborn. And then I finally, I finally surrendered to God's call in my life. But, but we've all had those experiences, right, where God speaks to us in dramatic fashion. And by the way, whether it's a huge moment like a burning bush or it's in the still small voice and the quiet of where you are in your home, it's still dramatic because God is speaking to you, the God of the universe. And today we see that God speaks to Moses in a very dramatic fashion. And, and in this series, my hope is that we all will be able to identify with Moses, that we will see him as a regular guy that lived in a world full of challenges, very similar to the world that we live in, who faced those challenges and was used by God. He didn't always handle things correctly. He didn't always respond. Last week we left him, and he just committed murder, by the way. Uh, didn't always respond properly. He failed big time, yet God still used him in an incredible way for his kingdom and for his glory. Put it this way, we are studying the life of Moses to experience God's spiritual principles, what he wants, what he desires, his expectations, to experience his spiritual principles so that we can live a spiritual life in Christ, to live the life that God wants for us the way that God wants us to live it. That's the goal, and that's my prayer for all of us in this series. We break up Moses' life in 40-year segments. The first 40 years he spends in Egypt, receiving the best education, the best training possible. Then he commits a crime. He spends the next 40 years in Midian, learning from trials and difficulties and the consequences of his mistake. And then he spends the last 40 years of his life leading a stubborn people toward the promised land with all of the challenges that come with that. We can think of it this way. Dwight Moody said Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. And then he spent his last 40 years learning what God could do with a nobody. Regardless of who you are and what you think of yourself, God has a plan for you and he wants to use you for his kingdom. And he has given you gifts and abilities that nobody else has. And Moses had to learn how God could work through him and how he could accomplish his purposes in his way and in his strength, not Moses' way and Moses' strength. And we all need to learn that. Now, if we look at the early life of Moses, uh, we talked about some similarities between Moses' birth and Jesus' birth. Well, another similarity is, is that, you know, we don't know a lot about the childhood of Moses. You know, it skips. We, you know, very quickly in Exodus, we move from his infancy to adulthood. You know, we talk about his birth and how he was saved, you know, the basket on the river, the whole, all of that. And then immediately we move to one day, verse, chapter 2, verse 11, one day after Moses had grown. So we, we fast forward to his adulthood. And if you'll remember last week, we left Moses in a pretty difficult predicament. He had gotten ahead of God's plan. He saw one of the Israelites being mistreated. He ended up killing the guy who was doing the mistreating. He thought the people would rise up and revolt, that he would start a revolution, but they did not. It was not God's timing. God, Moses got ahead of God, and so Pharaoh is now trying to kill him, so he flees. He runs away to Midian, and now 
he is alone, he is by himself, then God blesses him even though he's committed this horrible sin, gives him a wife, gives him a family, but he's still, he's in Midian and he spends the next 40 years there. And you get the idea when you pick up in chapter 3, that Moses has just kind of settled into his life, that he's accepted the consequences. Like I said last week, I believe that he understood, at least in part, that God had a plan for him uh, when he was in Egypt. But you get the idea that he's figured, well, I've blown it, I've messed up, I've got a pretty comfy life here in Midian, I'm going to stay where I'm at, I've got a family, I'm a shepherd, you know, I've got, I've got everything that I need. And he, I mean, by the way, he's 80 years old. And at 80 years old, you probably don't usually think of starting a whole new career. I mean, some people, and that's fine if you do, but, you know, you're thinking about settling down, mostly. And that's probably what's happening here. He's comfortable, but then God decides to interrupt his life in dramatic fashion. I'm sure Moses would have been just fine living out his days where he was in Midian. But God has a different plan. It's a divine interruption. God steps in. And when he steps in, when he breaks open our lives, when he steps into our lives and speaks to us, whether it's in the still small voice, in the quiet place of our prayer closet, or in dramatic fashion, in the middle of a conference where it feels like the, God's speaking directly through the preacher to you, or through his word, whatever the case may be, when God speaks, it's a divine interruption and he's calling you to action. He's calling me to action. He's calling Moses to action here in today's passage. So how does he do that? Well, well, first, what does he do? In speaking to Moses, the first thing that he does is that God reveals his presence to Moses. You know, he's walking along. Moses does a double take, just like I did with the Amish sign. But God wasn't speaking to me through the Amish sign, except for, hey, here's a good illustration for Sunday morning. Uh, other than that, but... Moses sees this burning bush, and you know he's got to be thinking, what in the world is this? So immediately God reveals exactly who this is. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 is where we'll begin. Verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest in Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he does a double take. He saw that the bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. It's just on fire. Catches Moses' attention, as it would any of us. So Moses thought, I need to go over and take a look at that. My paraphrase. But that's what he says, right? I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You know, I had my, I've had a couple of burning bushes, bush experiences. I've had uh, a Midian experience, too. Uh, when in 2003, Mandy and I had been married a year, uh, God orchestrated circumstances, led us to go to New Orleans to finish school. Now, I don't know if you've been to New Orleans, um, but that to me was like Midian. All right, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I'd been to New Orleans a few times, but God led us there. Just she and I, no children. And I thought in my mind, 
planning it out as I thought. I'd been called to be a preacher, hadn't pastored a church yet. I thought, oh, I'm going to go down there, I'm going to find a church, I'm going to start pastoring. I just, that's how I had it planned in my head. That's what's going to happen, right? God's got it, this all worked out. If he's leading me there, that's what he's going to do. Well, I got there, guess what? No one was looking for me to be their pastor in New Orleans. I mean, nobody knew, even knew who I was. And so I began to get a little frustrated. God, what are you doing? Well, God had a plan. Number one, he was giving us that year, the two of us, that year to strengthen our marriage. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what he was doing. We were by ourselves, first time I had lived away from my family. We were both away from our families. That was a time of strengthening for, for our marriage, time I wouldn't trade for anything. The second aspect was he didn't call me to be a pastor while I was there, but he led me to a pastor that I connected with, and I got to follow him around for eight months where he taught me things that I had not learned. I'd served on staff at a church. I'd been in ministry, but I had not learned some of the things that I needed to learn before I became a pastor of a church. And Dr. Joe McKeever took me under his wing for those eight months and taught me things about the ministry that I had not learned in any other circumstance. See, God had a plan that was not the same as my plan. And it was in that time, God needed to show me some things. He needed to teach me some things. That is exactly what he's done. That was just a year. That's exactly what he's done with Moses for the past 40 years. He's been teaching him. He's been preparing him for the task that he had given him. Just like God prepared me to pastor my first church in Moss Point, Mississippi, East Moss Point Baptist Church, little bitty church in Mississippi, God was preparing Moses to lead the nation of Israel. Moses had some things he needed to learn. God prepares Moses in the desert, not the palace. He had been to Egypt. He had had that education. Now he receives another education, a different education in the desert. He would be educated by God. Think about it. What better way to prepare a person to lead God's people than by making him a shepherd? Now, I could go into all the reasons that that's good, but I don't want to offend you as the church, okay? There's a lot of characteristics of sheep that apply to groups of people. All right, that's all I'll say. But by being a shepherd, Moses was prepared in ways that he wouldn't have been prepared in the palace, even with the greatest education available in that day and time. You know, it's interesting, the word that's used here for desert is sometimes used to mean to speak. So it's an interesting translation of that word. You know, God speaks to us in the desert in ways that he doesn't in other places. You know, my desert, New Orleans, Louisiana, not really that much of a desert when you think about it. But God spoke to me in ways there that he didn't speak to me when I was on staff at Westwood Baptist Church or at Shiloh Baptist Church. I mean, God speaks to us in those desert moments in ways that we don't... And the reason is because it's in the desert, we know we don't have anything else to depend on. We know we've blown it, or we know that, 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 that we, we can't do it on our own. You know, circumstances lead us to those dry places to those difficult places. And it's in those moments that God says, now listen, you're finally, you can't do it on your own, right? No, Lord, I know I can't. I've blown it. I, I can't do it on my own. Well, now you're finally ready to depend on me, to listen to me. You're ready for me to work through you to accomplish my purposes. And that, that's what God's doing here in the life of Moses. There are four things that God does in the desert, in those lonely, difficult valleys of life. If that's where you are today, here, here, I don't know all of why you're there, but here's some things that I know God will do if you'll look to him. Number one, he encircles us. He surrounds us. He protects us. If you'll look, if you'll draw close to him, if you'll dive into his word, 
into his presence, you'll find that he, he, he's in complete control. And he's got you. He will encircle you. There won't be a place that you can look and not see and experience his presence in your life. If you'll look for it, if you'll depend on him, if you'll draw close to him. He also cares for us in those dry places, in those difficult places. I can't care for myself. I, I've blown it, God. I, I realize I, I'm not strong enough. And he says, that's okay, I am. He cares for us. He cares for us deeply. And then he guards us. Even when you look at the life of Job, nothing happened to Job that, that, that God did not allow. God didn't cause it, but he allowed it. And, and what did God tell Satan? You can do whatever you want, but you can't take his life. You know, ultimately, God protected him. He had a plan for Job. And you know, it's interesting, you look at the life of Job, and it's easy for us to look back and say, see the, how it ended, right? We can see some things that Job didn't get to see. We, we have answers that Job didn't have in the midst of that. You know, Job didn't realize God was going to use this to teach us about suffering. You know, he, didn't, he didn't understand all that was going on. There were some things that he never got answers to that you and I have answers. When we read the book of Job, yet God had a plan for him and God cared for him and, and, and Job remained faithful. Yeah, he questioned God as we all do. He, he struggled with the wise and all of those things, but God took care of him. And in the, the, in, in the desert in Midian, I'm sure Moses had some of those same questions, but God cared for him. He was preparing him. He was working even when Moses didn't realize it. God encircles us. He cares for us. He guards us. He protects us. And then he guides us. He guides us. You know, it's interesting to look at Moses and God's guiding him, and he doesn't even realize it. He's made him a shepherd to prepare him to lead a group of people. And Moses is probably clueless, but by learning how to be a shepherd, he's training for his assignment. He, he, God guides us. He's always leading and guiding and directing if we're looking and listening and willing to learn. Why does God put us through the desert experience? Well, he does it to humble us. He does it so that we'll find out who we really are. It's to reveal our inner character, our inner quality. It's those times of suffering, those times of those dry places, those difficult places where God, our character is uncovered. And it's not so God will learn who we are. He already knows who we are. It's so we will learn who we are. We will learn where we need to grow and where God needs to work. Those areas that maybe we're trying to control and hold on to that we need to surrender, whatever, whatever those areas are. What God is doing in the desert is he's refining. He's refining Moses. You know, over the past six months, you know, I've, I've I honestly just total transparency, I've struggled. I've prayed and I've struggled, Mandy and I both, with God, what, what are you doing in the midst of this? And we, you know, we went through our time of fasting and our time of prayer, seeking the Lord, and I've sought the Lord, and, and I know that he's got a plan in this, and I've known that, that he's preparing us for something. And you know, sometimes you just have those moments of clarity, right, where God just speaks to you. And this isn't one of those things where I'm coming, yeah, it was a great conference, but I'm not coming back all fired up. And I mean, I am a little bit, but it's not, it's not because of the conference. But, but this week, yeah, I've been praying and I've been struggling in prayer and I've been asking God, what, what, what is it that you're trying to do? And this week, God just gave me some clarity about a few things. And let me tell you one thing that I know he's doing in the midst of this. God is refining his church. He's refining his church. 
you know, we're going to get through this, and God's got a plan in this, and one of the things he's doing, he's purifying us. I believe that. I've learned things about God, and God reminded me and showed me this. I've learned things about God, his greatness and his magnificence and and all of that through this that I, I would not have learned without forced dependence that's happened during this pandemic. But I believe God is refining his church, refining us for what? Listen, I believe this as strongly as I've believed anything in my ministry. I believe with all my heart. You know, they're going to be, we're going to get through this, and there are going to be some people that don't come back to church. And I hope that, you know, I know some people are still at home, and, and some of you need to be home, all that. I'm not trying to make a statement about, you know, not protecting yourself. But we're going to get through this, and there are going to be some people that, that don't come back. I believe that through this, we're going to see true believers rise up cultural Christianity is going to be less of a thing when this is over with. I believe that. And here's why. I believe God is purifying his church and he's preparing us for a revival like we have never seen in the history of our lives. Maybe in the history of the world. I believe God's got a plan in this. And I believe God is going to use this church and this community to make an impact for his kingdom like we've never seen before. God's purifying his church. He's refining us, just like he refined Moses. He's preparing us for something that is God-sized, that is huge. The question, and the question Moses had to answer is, are we ready for it? Are we ready for it? Are we ready to be used by God? You think about the task ahead of him. Are we ready to be used by God to do what he's called us to do? Raymond Edmond, he was president of Wheaton College a number of years ago. He died suddenly, but before his death, he wrote a small book. It was called In the Quiet, In Quietness and Confidence. He talks about his own desert experience, and here's what he says. He says, something painful happened to me. This is how I met it. I was quiet for a while with the Lord, and then I wrote these words for myself. First, he brought me here. It is by his will I'm in this straight place, and in that fact I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace as a child, as his child. Then he will make, make the trial a blessing, teaching me that the lessons he intends me to learn, teaching me those lessons and working in me the grace he needs to bestow. Last, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when, only he knows. Let me say I'm here first by God's appointment, second in his keeping, third under his training, and fourth for his time. Moses is in Midian, exactly where God wants him to be, exactly for the reasons God wants him to be. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose. Folks, we've been in Midian, exactly where God wants us to be. He's got some things he wants to teach us. He's showing us some things. He's preparing us for something. I know he is. Something huge, something big, something God-sized. Moses has to answer the question, am I ready? Am I willing? We've got to answer the same question. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Wherever he leads, whatever he wants me to do, I am ready. I want to see God do some great things. And I want to be a part of it. I want to miss out on it. God's preparing us. He's preparing Moses. You know, I brought a clock and I plugged it in. I thought of it kind of at the last minute to plug it in. You've probably been looking at that clock wondering, he's still on point number one. When's he going to get done? (laughs) Been a little bit excited this week. I'll just have to kind of bear with me. If you're thinking that, you shouldn't be thinking that, okay? (laughs) 
all right? But we look at clocks, and what do we do when we look at clocks? We're always waiting on something, right? Boy, 12 o'clock, go get some lunch. Waiting on something. Waiting. 5 o'clock, I get to go home. Whatever it is, we're always waiting. And then, this is an alarm clock. Most of us use our phones or whatever now, but this is an alarm clock. And I didn't set the alarm, but most of us set our alarms to get up in the morning to go to work or go wherever, right? And there's a fancy little feature on the alarm clock that a lot of us like to use. I stopped doing it because I just, it was a never-ending cycle. I had to stop. But what is the feature that I'm talking about? This beautiful little button right here. And what does the snooze button do? It gives you nine more minutes, right? It's like it's something like nine minutes. Gives you nine more minutes of sleep. So the alarm goes off, you hit the snooze button, you roll back over, and just about the time you fall back asleep, meh, meh, meh. And listen, by the way, if you don't hit the button, that, that sound gets louder and faster, right? So you hit the snooze button again. Nine more minutes, I'm going to sleep. But then, sure enough, by the time you get relaxed, meh, meh, starts again. So we don't mind waiting on that, do we? We don't mind waiting to get out of bed, to go to work or whatever. Why is it that we have such a hard time waiting on God? Now, God's been forcing us to wait for a while, right? He's forced us to Midian for a little bit. And listen, it's been six months. Moses has been waiting 40 years. But we don't like to wait on God but we need to because there's some things he wants to teach us in that waiting. Some things we'll learn that we won't learn while we're rushing through life going one place to the next. There's some things we'll learn spending time with our families at home instead of running from one activity to the next. And we've got plenty. Don't, don't misunderstand. But we need to learn to wait on God. It's the hardest thing we do, but it's the most valuable thing that we can do. If we'll wait and we'll listen. God prepared Moses. He's preparing us are we willing to listen? Are we willing to wait? Moses comes across the bush. He takes a look, and, and God says, Don't come closer. Remove sandals from your feet. Remove your sandals for the place you're standing on is holy ground. You ever wonder why he, think, why he says that? You know, I've read that if you remove your shoes for a good part of the day, if you'll go barefoot, that you'll live longer. I've actually read a study that says this. Like, if you, while you're at, at work, you know, kick your shoes off under the feet, under the desk, or maybe while you're at church, kick your shoes off under the pew, you'll live longer. The person next to you may not, but you, <laughs> you will live longer, all right? So maybe that's what, I mean, Moses is 80 years old. Maybe that's what he's doing. He's trying to give him a few more years to accomplish. I don't really think that's what God's doing. You know, I, I don't know this, but I think that what God is doing here is he's trying to remove anything that would stand between he and, he and Moses. It's holy ground. He doesn't want any barriers. He wants to ex Moses to experience all of himself, as much as he can handle. As we see later, he can't handle the full glory. None of us can. But I think he just wants God to experience, wants Moses to experience his presence without anything standing in the way. I think that's what this is about, because he's about to call him to do something pretty incredible. So Moses is on holy ground. And this is no coincidence. God's got a plan. He introduces himself as the God of Israel's fathers. Moses hides his face in fear, and then God reveals his purpose. He reveals his purpose to Moses. Look at verses 7 through 9. The Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their suffering. I've come down to rescue them from the power 
of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites cry for help has come to me, God says, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God announces he's going to save Israel. And Moses says, well, it's about time. Uh, he does. He's probably thinking that though, right? It's been 40 years. He says, God, I was ready 40 years ago. I'm old now. But God says, I'm going to save them. But Moses listens. And you've got to think he's, he's remembering the images, you know, making bricks in the mud pits, the whips across the backs of the people, of his people. He's thinking about all those. He's thinking about the cries for help. And he is probably thinking, you know, Lord, why have you waited this long? Where have you been? But God has always been there. He's always heard his people. He knows exactly where they are, and, and he knows what they need. God hasn't been absent. He's got a purpose in all of it, beyond their understanding, beyond our understanding to some degree. But God's been there. The people cry out for help, and here's what we learned. God heard their groaning. He saw the people of Israel. He knew. He knew the whole time what they were going through, and he remembered his covenant. Not, oh, I forgot to do it. No. He thinks about the covenant that he made, and he always keeps his covenants. The covenant he had made with Abraham, with his people. And he's ready to rescue them. And here's the deal. If you're in Midian right now, which we all are to some degree, God knows exactly where you are. It may be related to pandemic. It may be related to some childhood pain that you've experienced, abuse that nobody knows about. It could be an addiction. It could be you're struggling in your marriage. You feel like your family's falling apart. It could be any number of things. Maybe your family is falling apart. I don't know why all of it's happening. I can't give you all the answers. Wouldn't try. Never do. One thing I've learned in ministry is sometimes it's better to, to shut up and let that be your wisdom. Paraphrase of Proverbs. <laughs> but here's what I do know. God knows where you are. He hears your groaning. And he hasn't forgotten the covenant he made with you if you're his child. He'll, he'll take care of you. There's going to be some pain, I know, and it's real. But he's going to teach you through that. And if you can learn, if you can, listen, I know it's tough, but if you can move from God, why are you doing this, to God, what do you want me to learn through this? I guarantee you he'll teach you some things. And you'll be stronger. And you'll experience him in ways that you would not have outside of this Midian. God knows where you are, and he's got a plan. And God has a plan for Moses. He's revealing that plan. Satan wants you to think otherwise, but God has a plan for you. He did for the nation of Israel. And while this verse applies to them, it's true for us too. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. God has a future for you. And by the way, even if you were to die today, you've got a future in, in glory, in heaven. God's got a plan for you. And what you're going through right now is not his final plan for you. His final plan for you is heaven. That's what, he, that's what he has prepared. That's what he's provided. I'm sure Moses' initial response was positive. Great, Lord, this is fantastic. Now, how are you going to do it? How are you going to pull this off? And that's when God reveals his plan to Moses. Number three, he reveals his plan. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. Therefore, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go? To Pharaoh, and that I should, stand, should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. 
So God commands Moses to go in verse 10. Moses, I will send you, he says. And, you know, it wasn't a multiple choice. It wasn't, hey, if you've got time, you know, if your arthritis isn't acting up. It, it wasn't if you feel like it. This wasn't a multiple choice. This wasn't, you know, uh, even really, you, you know, a yes or no. I mean, I guess it was yes or no, but it wasn't an option. This wasn't, you know, God saying, hey, you know, you, you can do whatever you want. No, this was a command. This was God saying, Moses, you're the guy. I'm choosing you. And Moses' response, his response is, who am I? But here's the deal. God chooses to use ordinary people like you and me and Moses to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. That's God's plan. All of the people. Why do you think he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's reminding him that these are ordinary guys that he used just like Moses is an ordinary guy that he wants to use. He wants to use ordinary people. Moses objects because he thinks I'm not the right person. Now compare that to where we left him last week. He's ready to take on the world last week, right? He's young. He's ready to go. He's 40 years younger. Now he's 40 years wiser. And he's thinking, I don't know about this. I don't think I'm, I'm the guy. I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not equipped to do this. What changed? Well, he had been humbled through this experience, and he had been taught. But again, God's saying, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those guys, they, what was so special about them? Think about it. What was special about them was what God did through them. They have plenty of mistakes on their resume, but God used them. And Moses is no different. God is saying, Moses, I'm the God of men who have failed. But I've used them despite their failures. Where they are weak, I'm strong. And through their failures, they learn to depend on me, just as you have through these 40 years. I want to use you. That's what God's saying to Moses. They were guys just like, they're not superstars. They're guys just like you and me, gals in Scripture that have done great things. They're just like us. They just made themselves available. And by the way, that's what God wants. I mean, he, he doesn't want you to jump through 10 hoops and you know, get 15 degrees. If you do, that's great. I've been in school a good part of my life. I get it. It was, it was worth it. But God's not waiting for you to get your doctorate. He's waiting for you to say, God, here I am. Use me. He just wants you to be available. That is the main requirement for a follower of Christ to do great things for God's kingdom. God, I'm available. I'll go. You send me and I'll go. That's what God wants. And, and, and it's what he's calling Moses to do here. Remember verse 4. God called Moses. He said, I am here. Believe it or not. Moses says, hey, I'm here. That, that, believe it or not, that, that's the answer. That's the requirement. That's all he wants to hear from us. But Moses feels unworthy. He thinks about his past. I'm sure he thinks about that huge sin, that crime he committed. He thinks, I'm unworthy. He probably thought he was too old. Again, 80 years old, not when you're thinking about a new career. But, you know, this is just another excuse when it comes down to it. He's thinking about all these reasons. But then God says, yes, I know all that, but Moses, 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 I'll be with you. None of that matters because this is my plan for you, and I'm going to be with you. 
I'm going to provide what you need. Something else here. I think Moses thought that God intended for him to be the deliverer. I really do. I think Moses thought, I can't do this. And guess what? He can't. Moses probably thought, I'm going to have to deliver these people. But God's saying, no, you're just my instrument. I'm going to do the delivering. I'm just going to work through you to do it. And that's what we all have to realize. Anything that God calls you to do, anything that God calls me to do, is going to be bigger than our abilities. Okay? This church, whatever God has is refining us for, is going to be huge. It's going to be beyond our ability. And you and I have to realize that we cannot do it on our own. That's step number one. Humility before God and dependence upon him. And it's at that point we realize God doesn't want us to do it. He wants to work through us to do it. That's his plan. That's what he wants. That's what he's trying to get Moses to realize. Moses, you're right. You can't do this. You've disqualified yourself. All of us, we are only qualified because of who God is in us, not who we are on our own. God qualifies us. He accepts us as we are, and then he takes us through these Midian experiences to make us what we need to be to prepare us for what he wants to do. And God's calling, he has a plan, but he never, and hear this, please, he never expects you to carry out that plan. He carries out his plan. We are just his vessels. We are his instruments. All we have to do is obey. All we have to do is go where he says go and do what he says do. Is it always easy? No, it's not. Believe me, it's not. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. God's going to do the work. He does the heavy lifting. We need to work with God as, he, as we work for God. We need to submit, to live in submission to him. The problem is his choices tend to seem illogical from our point of view, but God offers Moses a sign. He says, you will know I've sent you when my words come true. What will be the confirmation? It's going to happen. What I tell you is going to happen will happen. You'll experience it as you go along. He doesn't give him this beforehand. He says, Moses, you got to step out in faith. But when you do, the confirmation will be that what I'm saying is going to happen will happen. That's the confirmation. It's a sign, but Moses has to have faith. A promise that God will save Israel. A promise that Israel will worship God. And so next, God reveals his person. He gives his plan, and now he reveals his person. In verse 13, Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What's his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered. Who are you? What's your name? He's saying, they're going to want to know who sent me. What do do I tell them? What's your name? Why do we always think, not always, but most of the time, why do we think we have to have all the answers before we obey God? We do, though, don't we? Hey, God, I'll do it, but you've got to answer this, this, and this. I'll do this, but first, no, no buts. Any hesitation in obedience is disobedience. But we do. We think we've got to have all the answers, and that's kind of what Moses is doing here. Lord, I can't do this because I'll get into a verbal corner. Somebody asks me a question I don't understand, like, I don't know, how did they get dinosaurs on the ark? And I'm not going to be able to answer. Or, or what about people in Africa who don't hear the gospel and die? What about them? 
We think we've got to have all the answers. We think if we don't have all the answers, people will think we're foolish. But the truth is, wise people, smart people know that you don't have all the answers because nobody does. I mean, it doesn't disqualify you. It's okay to admit, you know, I don't have the answer for that. As long as you're willing, if you're a vessel, if you're a willing vessel, God will use you. And Moses, he's looking for answers. Pride says, if I don't have a ready comeback, if I say I don't know, they'll laugh at me. But that's not true. Intelligent, thoughtful people won't laugh. They'll just realize you're like them. You don't have all the answers, just like they, have, they don't have all the answers. What God is saying is this. He's saying it to Moses with this name. He's saying it to us. You may not have all the answers, but you will have all of me. And that's all you need. If we'll accept him, if we'll follow him, we'll have all of him. I am who I am. What's he saying here? Here's the significance. It's the God who is, who was, and who is to come. It's the God who is eternal. There's never been a time where he wasn't. It's the God who creates and sustains. He created this world and he sustains it. He's still in control, by the way. May not seem like it at times, but he is. He's a God who is truth. If you want truth, it's not relative. It's not your truth versus my truth. It's his truth and it's in here. He's the God of truth. That's what he's saying. I am who I am. He's the God who defines existence and reality. It's not relative. He defines it. It's the God who never changes. Boy, that's good. There's been a lot that's changed over the past few months, isn't there? But God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God, he's the God who is the God that, that's all we need. I am who I am. I'm all you need. No, you're not worthy, Moses. You're not qualified, but I am, and I'll work through you. It's the God who is. I am. That's what that means, all of that. He's saying, God, he's saying, Moses, you just tell him I am. I am what? I'm everything. I'm truth. I'm the creator, sustainer. I've always existed. There's never a time where I wasn't. I have what you need. I'll give you what you need, and I will make this happen. You just say yes. Yahweh, God is saying he's the only self-existent, infinite being in all the universe. You tell them that's who sent you, Moses. That's what you tell them. That's what Moses is saying, and that's what God is saying. So God reveals his person, and then finally, God reveals his prophetic word. He tells him, here's what's going to happen, Moses. Verse 16, go and assemble the elders of Israel. Say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. However... Know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless he is forced to by a strong hand. But here's the promise. I'll, I've got that hand, Moses. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it. After that, he will, he will let you go. And I will give these people such favor. Not only will he let, him go, let them go, I will give these people such favor in the sight of the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. I'm going to let you go, but not only that, I'm going to let you take whatever you want with you. That's what he's saying. 
Each woman will ask her neighbor, and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. Go and tell the elders. They will listen to you, Moses. Moses is commanded by God to declare God's vision for Israel. He would go before Pharaoh, but Pharaoh will not listen. Now, in a sense, here's what God's saying. Moses, you're going to do this, but it's not going to work. Okay? Step number one is go to the Israelites. They will listen. Step number two, go to Pharaoh. He will not listen. But here's the thing, Moses. He gives him two promises. Verse 18, the leaders of Israel will listen to what you say. And verse 20, Pharaoh's not going to listen, but guess what? I will force him to listen. That's what God says. Again, think about it. Moses is probably thinking, I have to do this. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Moses, you don't have to do this. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you anyway, but he will listen to me. It's going to take a strong hand, and nobody's hand is stronger than mine, Moses. That's what God's saying. He will listen. I will force him to listen. I will make him listen through my hand, my wonders, my miracles, he says. And then he will let you go. Not only will he let you go, you're going to be able to pretty much take whatever you can carry with you. Once again, God says, I'm going to bless you. I've heard your cries. I've heard your screams. I haven't forgot about you. Now I'm going to bless you, and then I'm going to bless you more than you deserve. This isn't name it and claim it, but that's how God operates. How many of you here today can say you have more than you need in your life? That's because of God's blessing on your life, okay? We all, God blesses his people. Yes, he calls us through trials. There are the median experiences, and there are difficult lessons to learn, but he uses ordinary people like you and me. But Moses had to take God at his word. He had to say, I'm here and I'm willing. You know, Mandy's brother, and I'll finish up here, but Mandy's brother uh, was, is deaf. He, he, he got spinal meningitis at 16 months. He'd already learned to walk. He was already you know, starting to, to talk, that sort of thing, and he got spinal meningitis. He was in the hospital for weeks. He almost died. But he, miraculously, he survived, but he lost his hearing. Deaf. Absolutely devastated her parents, as you can imagine. And so he, he had to learn all those things over again. He had to learn to walk. And he had to learn to be able to communicate. Uh, it took a long time, long road, difficult road. Difficult for him, difficult for Mandy, difficult for her family, parents, grandparents, the whole, the whole nine yards. And when he got older, and I, I, I think Mandy told me this story, it just astounded me. And if you, got, if you get to know Aaron, her brother, I mean, he, he's one of a kind, and, and it wouldn't surprise you that he would say this, but this was when he was younger. Somebody came to their church, or somebody in their church came up to Aaron and said, Aaron, I want you to know that I'm praying that God will heal you and restore your hearing. And this is what Aaron said. He said, no thanks. He said, I'll hear in heaven. God's allowed this to happen to me for a reason. This was, what, a teenager maybe? He was young when he said this. He's in his late 30s now. Guess where he is right now as we meet? He is leading the deaf to Christ in Thailand. That's what he's doing. He's a missionary overseas. hope it's okay for me to say that. That's what he's doing. He was a young man, had no clue. How many of us would say, no thanks, I don't want to hear? Of course he wants to hear. But he knew that God had a plan for him, 
And in that Midian that was his life at the time, he trusted God. He wasn't perfect. You and I aren't perfect. Think about it. Abraham was a liar. He lied on more than one occasion, yet God blessed him and used him. There's plenty of people in Scripture. I, mean, I could go down the list. Rahab was a prostitute, yet she saved God's spies. Now she's a part of the Hebrews Hall of Faith, right? It's amazing the people that God chooses to use over and over him. Jacob, Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright. He was a cheater and a liar. Yet God blessed him to the point, gave him a name that he blessed him so much that his name couldn't hold the glory. He changed his name to Israel. A line of failures, huge character flaws. Yet at the end of the day, they learned, they repented of their sin, and God used them for his glory and for his kingdom. I don't have all the answers. I've gotten some clarity this week. I have. You know, sometimes God will just speak to you through his word or through somebody else's preaching of his word, and he did this week on a couple of occasions. He's given me clarity on a few things. One thing is God's refining us. Number two, I believe, I believe a revival's coming. I do. And number three, I believe it starts with me. You know, the, the North American Mission Board has a phrase, a challenge, who's your one? You probably have 10, but let's start here. There's, there's one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus. Who is it? Who are you thinking about right now? That's, that's your one. That's where your mission starts. Here's my prayer right now. I've been struggling. I've been struggling in prayer for a while. God's given me some clarity, and here, here, here's my prayer is simplified. It's not the only thing I'm praying about, but this is what my prayer is. God, take me to them. Send them to me, but don't let me miss the opportunity. God's going to do something huge. I believe that. Stronger than I believed anything in a long time. The question is, is, am I willing to be a part of it? Who is it? Who is God calling you to reach? Doesn't matter if there's a pandemic. You can stand six feet away and share the gospel with a mask on. Who is it? Who's your one? And by the way, are you one? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Let's start here, right now in this building, online. Do you know Jesus? Jesus went to the cross and died the most horrific, painful death you could ever imagine. And here's why he did it. Because you are lost in sin and you can't get out on your own. He did it to pay the price for your sins. And then he was raised three days later so that you could have victory over death. Are you the one? If you are today... Jesus says, if you will come to me, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can have salvation. This difficult time, this median that you're in is not God's final plan for you. His final plan for you is heaven, but you've got to receive the gift of salvation. Where are you? Who's your one and are you the one? If you are, you just, you just cry out to God right now where you are and he'll save you. You don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But all you need to know is that Jesus died for you. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes you, and he's offering you salvation. Let's just spend a few moments in prayer. God, there is a lot that we don't understand. 
There's so much that goes on and has gone on that doesn't make sense. Pandemics, racial division, rioting, unrest, broken families, sickness, death, suffering. financial problems, the list goes on. There's so much that causes pain in our world, but in the midst of the suffering, you offer life, love, healing, forgiveness, mercy. God, if there's somebody out there today in this building or at home who doesn't know you, I pray that they would accept that wonderful gift of salvation. Jesus, you died for our sins. We deserve help. We deserve separation, punishment. But in your love and grace, you give us what we don't deserve and you withhold what we do deserve. I just have to believe that there's somebody out there looking for answers and they don't have any, but they can't have you. I just pray that they would cry out to you right now in this moment. For the rest of us, Father, you've called us into the world to be your lights, to shine in the darkness amidst all of that pain and suffering to carry the gospel. And we failed in many ways. Maybe that's what some of this is about, Lord. You're refining us. You're cleansing out all the impurities. You're showing us where we failed. You're showing us what's important and what's not. Maybe we'll let go of some of those things that don't matter and focus on your glory and and advancing your kingdom and doing whatever it takes to make that possible that we'll be willing to take steps of faith, to be stretched beyond our means in order to see you work. Lord, we know that it's not the condition of the vessel, it's the treasure inside that matters. And you've given us a great treasure, and I pray that we'll share it. Lord, you are holy, you are awesome. You are all You are everything that we need and more than we could ever imagine. You deserve all of our praise, all of our honor, all of our glory, and you deserve our complete devotion and our complete obedience. Because again, any hesitation in obedience is just disobedience. Lord, I pray that we would be completely and totally committed to you and your plan and your purpose for our lives. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.